my name is Christy Reeves, and I have been a member of NBC for about 11 years, and I'm going to read Malachi 3, 13 through 4, 6. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evil doers not only prosper, but they put God to test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord said, the Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogance and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Hi, my name is Luke. Um, I'm attending Texas State to study business. Uh, throughout the past few years, I've been coming to Mansfield Bible Church, and it's, it's really helped me grow to learn who Jesus is and what it really means to follow Him. Um, over the years, I've, I've come to love theology because of Brady and Jared, and it, it truly unites me with Christ, and it, it makes a big difference in my life. A new student building would mean more opportunities to bring people to church. It'd be a more inviting, welcoming place for new students, and it would help people get united. My name is Casper Hall, and I serve in the youth group as a middle school leader. Man, youth for me was a lifesaver growing up in youth at my church. Um, I had youth leaders that poured into me. I was really close to my youth pastor, um, and so it's just I just knew one day I would want to do the same. Give back to the youth and um, make a difference in their lives. Since I've been a part of the youth, it's kind of grown a little bit. It has its flows, but it's growing. And we're not going to be able to fit into where we do service in this the A building. Um, and right now, I mean, all summer we've been in the link for service because of heat. Um, we've been meeting in the main building for small groups. The small groups buildings in B, or C, I guess, are cramped and lack airflow and just, again, dingy is how I would describe it. Well, we'd be able to use the space for um, events for the rest of the church, you know, for small groups and the Mansfield Institute.
I like that. Dingy. <laughs> if you haven't been out in our portables, you would probably agree with that. I don't think I'd, I'd heard that, that term yet, so that's, that's pretty good. Okay, so we've been, um, we've been having our vote on the student building and what we're looking at, and we have pictures and things out in the lobby. You can go out there and look. We have people that are out there to answer any questions you may have. You're more than welcome to go out and ask them a question. If they don't know the answer, they definitely know to go, where to go to find those answers. Uh, and today is really the last day on that vote, so it's really important. If you haven't voted yet, I'd encourage you to vote, yes or no. It doesn't matter. I just want to hear from you and, and have, it, have it voted out there, so please uh, be sure to vote. Again, today's the last day. You can go out in the lobby to the right uh, where the pictures are. There's a round table that has some paper ballots. You can fill that out, put it in the basket, where you can go online to our website at bcchurch.life. You can vote there, or if you have the church app, you can go on the church app and vote there as well. Okay? So uh, today we're going to wrap up the book of Malachi. Um, I'm Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We're going to hopefully get through all of it, the, what was read, but, um, but I'm trying to finish it up today, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. This is one of those things that if you've been following us in the book of Malachi, one of the things you begin to realize is that God is interested in the hearts of his people. We've seen it all through the book where God is really looking for the heart of his people and where they're at. Uh, there's a lot of things we can talk about church that make church grow or make church do this or make church do that. But the reality of the truth, listen to me here when I say this, the reality of the truth is what God is concerned about in your life is your heart. And where is your heart? What is the treasure of your heart? Because where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be as well. And if God is your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And so it's really important that as we kind of wrap up this book, and it's been a great study. I, I mean, this study is, uh, I've never preached through Malachi before. I've never taught it in a Bible study before. And when I began this study, I didn't have anything to kind of ground off of, just kind of an overview. And it's, it's been a lot of work to think through it and to try to see what God has to say. But in the, in the end, what God really is interested about when we look at the heart of his people, he wants their hearts. And in the book of Malachi, they had grown, drift, grown away from the Lord. They had drifted away from him. They were pursuing their own ways. They'd become discontent with God, complaining about God. Their hearts had grown callous, and God is calling them back. He's telling them, hey, return to me, and I will return to you. And our God is a God who cares about our hearts, and he cares about what we hold in our lives. And so it's been an important study for us, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as we've gone. And today, as we kind of look at this last part, we're gonna be seeing some things in this chapter. If you look at chapter four, verse two, I'm gonna actually kind of make a quote there, and it's kind of the hub and, the, and really, the, the, really the title of the message today. I've been trying to grab things out of the text, but in verse two of chapter four, it says, but for you who hold or who fear my name. And that's really the title. He's talking, about, he's talking about those who would fear his name. And it's a contrast. It's this idea where, okay, but those who do fear my name, those who do seek after me. And so there's some things that we want to learn about the truths of fearing our God, having an awe of him, 
a recognition of him in our lives, that we don't just pursue our own ways. We don't just go after our own thoughts. We, we seek him and we pursue him and our hearts are thirsting for him. And so there's some things we're going to learn today about the fear of the Lord. But before we do, let's pray. All right. Father, we come before you and God, I pray today, I pray God that you would speak to us, your people. There are times that, Father, when I walk into your text and I think, God, how, how does this get communicated to your people? That, Father, they would hear, the, hear your heart, your cry, your desire, Father, for them to know you and to have a passion for you, to set their hearts apart unto you, O oh Father. And the reality is it's not through the tongue of man, but, Father, it's through the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, God, today I pray that your Spirit would speak to us, your people, that our hearts would be softened, our ears would be open, and that, Father, we would hear what the Spirit has to say to us today, that, Father, today we would grow in Christ, we would grow in our knowledge of, the, of your Word and an understanding and that, Father, we would apply it in our lives, that we might continue, Father, in our faith and our walk in you, Father, that we might glorify you. And, Lord, just go past all of the inabilities and the sins and the shortcomings of the servant, Father, and speak to us, your people, today. It's in Christ's name. Amen. There's three truths, starting in verse 13 of chapter Third, uh, chapter 3 in verse 13, there's three truths today that I want to talk about when we talk about those who have a fear of the Lord. In verse 13 and through 15, we're going to see a people who lacked a fear of the Lord. And as a result of that, their heart grew calloused and they became complaining. And the reality is when our hearts do grow callous, the next step is we complain. Look at it, if you will, verse 13. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve the Lord. What is it the profit of, of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And the picture that we have here is we have a people who do not fear God. They have a heart that is callous towards him. They have a heart that is complaining about him. And when you look at these verses, even these three verses, it really sums, sums up the character of what's going on in God's people in this book. That their hearts have grown callous and they're still complaining even from the beginning through the end. In verse 13, he says there, your words have been hard against me. That word hard has the idea of harsh or sinful. There was no gratitude or thankfulness towards God, even though we saw in verse 6 of this same chapter, because of God's faithfulness, they weren't consumed. You would think that would bring out some gratitude towards God, where we say, God, thank you for, for not allowing us to be consumed, not to be, not to be done away with. We, we praise your God. But rather, instead of that, their hearts were callous and they complained about the things that God did not provide. Our lives could be better. Well, God, why didn't you bring this about? What about that job? What about that, that property? What about, why can't my bank account be better? Why can't God, why don't, why don't you bless me? I look at the evildoer over there, and you know what? They're being blessed. 
In fact, they challenge your righteousness, God, and they get away with it. To the place where they go, it's vain to serve God. It breaks my heart to even say that. Our words were harsh towards the Lord. There was no thanksgiving. And the reality is where there's fear of the Lord, the complaining goes away. Because if you have a fear of God, you begin to see his hand in your life on a daily basis. In fact, their response there in verse 13, they say, but how have we spoken against you? They didn't even understand the manner in which they were asking and challenging God and the harshness of their words. They could not see the sinfulness of their words. So they argued with God and they disputed with him. And you know what? If, I don't, if you've been keeping track as we've gone through this book, this is the seventh time they've done this. In fact, hard hearts are revealed. I have a slide here of the times that, that they've done this throughout the book. In, in chapter one, they, God says, I love you. And they're like, how have you loved us, God? And God says, I love you because I chose you. How have we despised you? God was talking about their, their, their fact that they gave him no fear. They had no honor towards him. They, they honored the governor, but they didn't honor him. How have we despised you? How have we polluted you? They brought these sacrifices that were, that were blemished. They brought these sacrifices that were sick. They brought the worst of their sacrifices rather than the best. And they were polluting their sacrifice and their worship towards God. How have we worried you? Because they continue with their harsh words and their constant, God, how are you blessing us? The temple's smaller. We are the nation of God's people. We're still not, we're still not receiving the blessings of God. Where are you? We see the righteous not doing well, and we see the unrighteous doing well. What's going on here, God? And they wearied him. He tells them, return to me and I will return to you. Well, how shall we return? What are you talking about how we should return? Well, you have been robbing me. You've been taking what belongs to me and you've been keeping it for yourself. You want to quit? You want to return to me? Quit robbing me. How have we robbed you? With your tithes and your offerings, your contributions. You hold them within. We saw that last week. And then today, how have we spoken against you? There was this continuation of this harshness of their hearts, and, and you just catch the spirit of these disputes when they, when they return and God says something, and they go, well, how have you done this? Show me, God. Prove it. As if God has to prove anything to us. If he has to prove it to us, then would he be God? Would he be sovereign? Who are we that we would think that we could call God out on the carpet in some way that we stand equal with him and we would challenge who he is and how he works that somehow we think that we could do that? That's a lack of the understanding of the sovereignty of God. In fact, I found in my life, it's been true in my own life, as well as many others, and probably even you here today, that when someone speaks to us about something that's wrong in our life or tries to correct, our, heartful, our prideful heart kind of responds like, prove it, show it, show me how I've done that to you. Got any examples of that? I will refute every single one of them because I'm right. I'll show you. 
And we do that with God. And that's what the people of God were doing here. And it's amazing how our hearts respond that way. That when we are his people, that we will respond to him in such a way. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I see it in my own life. How many times I find myself even frustrated with God and over something, and then I'm reminded, wait a second, I'm the servant. He's the king. Does not God have the right to do things his own way? If you don't know the answer to that, the answer is yes. Because he's the king of kings. As he said early in this book, I am the great king. There's no one like him. In fact, their response comes out when verse 14, he says, they say, it is vain to serve God. What is the point? What is the profit of our keeping his charge? What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And what they're talking about, the mourning there, is the recognition of their own sin. This morning after that, that when we begin to recognize sin in our lives, how do we respond to it? Do we harden ourselves and we stiffen our necks and we, and we fight even more? And that's the harshness of their words, that they were disputing with God. Rather than mourning, what's, what's the use to walk with, with God? What is the use to, to mourn over these things? Why? Because verse 15 and now we call the arrogant blessed. We looked out and there's the arrogant man and look at him, he seems to be blessed, God. He goes on and they say, evildoers not only pro prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape, they get away with their actions. They do ungodliness and God doesn't seem to care what, what is going on here. Now understand something, that the people of God right here, as they challenge God and as they, and as they respond to him and the harshness of their words, they're looking at their own godliness, their own righteousness. They're seeing themselves as being right. We have the right to call these things out and question. Why? Because we're innocent. We're making these points, and, and these points that we're making are right and true. Because look, the evildoers are blessed. Yet the very words that they're speaking themselves is blasphemy. Think about that. The very words they're speaking is blasphemy, even more than the evildoers that they're accusing. Sometimes if we're not careful when our hearts get callous and we begin complaining, we are so good at complaining and, and looking at, at everything else that we don't even see our own iniquity. And that results in a lack of fear of our Lord. And when we can see the speck in, in someone else's eye, but we miss the board in ours, may we learn that we realize that even in our own lives, that we fall before an almighty God and we rest in him. When we, are lack, when we have a lack of the fear of the Lord, we will have a calloused heart every time. You get a calloused heart, you lose your sensitivity to the Lord because you become in love with yourself and the pursuit of yourself. You lose your passion for God. 
you will only see how you have been wronged by others and by God. The heart will grow callous because a lack of the fear of the Lord contributes to the hardening of the heart. Let me ask you today, do you have a fear of God? Everyone should be asking that question. I know when I started out this message, and sometimes when I've been going through this book in Malachi, there's been a lot of times where I'm going, you know, God, I don't think there's going to be times where people are going to respond very well. Because, Lord, you've been taking this mirror, this book of Malachi, as much as any book I've probably have gone through, and you just kind of put a mirror to it, and, it, and, I, and I go, wow, God, I'm, st- I'm still having to grow so much. There's still so much in my heart, and yet you desire my heart, and you're calling for my heart, and it's an amazing picture, but the reality is that in order to grow, in order to understand where our heart is, we have to ask these tough questions. Do I fear God? Have I grown where my heart is callous? Have I grown to a place of complaining that I have no fear of my God? Because if there's no fear of God, then our hearts are going to grow callous. And then only the comes is complaining. In verses 16 and 17, we're going to see the second aspect. We're going to see a heart that is filled with the fear of the Lord. And you're going to see reverence, and you're going to see that they're remembered. Verse 16, he says, then those who feared the Lord, by the way, fear is a good thing. You understand that, right? Fear is a good thing. There's an awe to fear. There's a recognition of the one in which we fear. That we understand that in him, he holds and contains all things. That all things are held together by him. We understand that he gives life and he sustains life and that every life will stand before him. There's an aspect of fear that is a positive thing. Our God is not a God who just reacts like I have in my life, that in anger you respond quickly and harshly. That isn't the picture of the God that we serve. Our God acts righteously and consistently and faithfully He's full of love and compassion and mercy. He's a God to be honored and just be served. And it says here, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This is amazing, this little passage right here, that those who fear the Lord are filled with reverence. There were some who were complaining and speaking of the harshness, but this text right here gives us a glimpse that there was those who feared the Lord and they kind of got together and they spoke to one another and spoke of the things of God. You see the picture of what's happening here? The complainers were gathering. You know, you're right, God doesn't care. Did you see so-and-so over there? Man, he cheated that widow out of her land and he's being blessed and he's getting all that. God doesn't care. Where is God? Where, hey, God, where are you? Why aren't you dealing with that over there? And we can see all those kinds of things, and we don't always understand the outcome and the reasonings, but the reality is that our God is still God. And he's going to address this in a minute. And yet there was these other ones who pulled off over here, and they spoke of God's goodness. Hey, you know, because of God's faithfulness, we haven't been consumed. 
He has kept us. He is holding us together. They spoke about the truth of who God is. And you know, listen to what it says right there. The very second verse, sentence of that verse in verse 16, the Lord paid attention, listen to this, and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who fear the Lord and esteem the Lord. Here's an application. It is important for us as a body of believers to gather together, to fellowship together, and to speak of the goodness of our God and to fear him. When I was first starting out ministry, when I went to Maine, I was there last month. They celebrated 125 years of that church. When I first went there, I read a book or a little pamphlet or something, and it was an over, of an old Scottish pastor talking to a young pastor just starting out. <clears throat> I think the book, it was, and some believed. And the old Scottish pastor was talking to the young man who was struggling with his preaching and struggling with standing up and preaching the word. And so the old Scottish pastor gave him this word. I wrote it down. Still have that card. Still have it hanging up in my office. And this is what this old Scottish pastor said. It says, keep at it, laddie, for God loves to hear men who speak well of his son. And sometimes I get up here and I think, Lord, there's a message today and the hardness of it sometimes I just don't want to talk about. And the reality is God wants us to speak about it because it's in his word. And when we see a fear of the Lord in the life of a person, there is reverence towards God. There is, there is a heart that is after him. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we understand that the entrapment of judging God by the waves of the world leads to sin that entraps us, enslaves us, and leads to death. But when we have a fear of the Lord, we don't envy the evildoers, and we don't envy the, the unrighteous. We understand the work of God's redemption, the propitiation of our salvation, the, the reconciliation that leads to life through God's Son. I have no message up here. The message isn't about me. The message is about the truth of what God has done through his son and that when we fear God in our lives, it raises up a fragrance of worship to our God. It's a, it's a life of worship that as we walk after him in the fear of the Lord, understanding what he has accomplished in our lives through his son, Jesus Christ that we stand in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. There is nothing that in my, myself that commends me to God other than I simply believe what he has done through his son and trust him in that light. I understand the reality of what God has done. And when there's a fear of the Lord, there is a fragrance about the way that we live our lives and it is worship unto our God. The Bible teaches us that. I have a slide here with several verses. I just want to read, read down through them. Friendship with the Lord is for those who fear them. You want to be friends with God? Fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I remember this passage in Bible college because I remember I had a prophet, 
a, prof, a professor, not a prophet, but a professor, asked the question. He said, uh, he said how, come, how much can an unsaved man know? That was always an interesting question for me. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To recognize who God is, then it begins to understand the things that we see are made by that which is unseen. That we understand it's a relationship of our creator that begins to put these things together. That's where understanding of the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. You know why you're not confident about your faith in this world of chaos? You probably need to fear the Lord. You need to fear the Lord. The world's going to be constantly telling us something else, another message. It's going, to, it's going to do everything it can to take our eyes off of Christ. But it's a fear of a Lord that makes one strong in their confidence in life. I love this one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. There is life in understanding who God is and understanding how we walk after him. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Continue in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Wow, not a lot there, but that's all right. <laughs> Hopefully you're just saying, Lord, look, look at my heart. Do I have a fear of the Lord in my heart? Verse 16 <clears throat> He says, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. A book of remembrance. This is so incredible. Why is it incredible? Think about this. Why is that incredible? Because what was the major complaint of the people of God here? What was their complaint? Where is God? Is he listening? Does he even care? I mean, he's blessing these evildoers. Where is God? And what does he say? A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed in his name. God says, actually, I am not missing anything. I'm not missing it. They thought he was, but he's not. What God says here is that he knows those who loves him. He knows those who fear his name who trust him in the middle of difficulties, who trust him and those who don't. That should move your heart to those who complain about God and think he doesn't care or, or hear the fear of the Lord kind of reverses that, doesn't it? That when we begin to fear him, we now understand that God sees it all. He understands if I fear him. He understands that my heart's for him. He understands my trust. God, in fact, God's kind of keeping a record. He's putting it in a book of remembrance. Praise God that there is security in that and a trust in that, that God understands my life and my faith and walking after him. In fact, in verse 17, We'll get through this. <laughs> Verse 17, he says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In a day, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spare, spares his son who serves him. I love this passage because he says, they are mine. Some of you here today needed to hear that. 
that those who fear the Lord and believe in the work of his son, there is security in the God of the universe. When I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty, pretty rough neighborhood. It was the government housing and, and all, very poor neighborhood. And there was a period of time in my life when I used to describe it as simply, I fought my way to school and I fought my way home from school. Um, been jumped, jumped meaning like several guys um, trying to beat me up or beating me up many times on the way home. I remember uh, one time some guys had surrounded me and um, they were, uh, things were about to get started and a young man that had become my friend, he walked in and pushed his way through the crowd and he says, look at him. You see him? He's part of my family. Do you understand that? You mess with him, you mess with my family. Now, my friend um, was not a believer. He was part of a family that everybody feared. I mean, they were in and out of jail for all kinds of reasons. Everybody just feared him. And I'll never forget how God kind of delivered me there. Because <laughs> he walked up and he said, you see him? He's my family. And I thought of that, and I thought when I read this, it's just the same thing. God looks at you and he says, you're mine. You're mine. What's going on in this world? It doesn't matter. God says, you're mine. And not only that, you're a treasure possession. You're a treasure possession. I should get an amen out of that at least. Come on, people. <laughs> Those who fear God are remembered, but they are also treasured. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you trusted Christ? Are you resting in your own ways, your own thoughts, your own purposes? It's just an endless cycle, an endless circle, and it never gets you anywhere. But when you trust in Christ, you go from death to life. You go from unrighteousness to righteousness and the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that you might be made into the righteousness of Christ. There's an opportunity right here. Just listen, listen. An opportunity of spiritual growth right here. Are you listening? The immature, spiritually immature says, God, where are you? God, don't you see what is happening to me? God, you're not blessing me. Why are all these things happening to me? And as a result, some people grow distant from God, walk away from God, just like here in Malachi. In almost every case, when we are complaining to God, it's about the horizontal. We're complaining about the temporalness of this earth, those things that will pass away. But those who fear the Lord look up and they know that God sees them and their confidence and their trust is in the Lord. You need to hear this today. You need to learn this today. The fear of the Lord smashes through the fear of man. It smashes through it. If you are not careful, you will be consumed by the fear of others and by the fear of man. And you will be consumed and crippled by it. And we must understand that we are a people that fear the Lord, that we fear our God and not this world. 
We have to understand that. God saved us. God redeemed us. God reconciled us. God made us righteous in his son. God calls us his own. He made us part of his family. We are his chosen people. We are his treasure. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Then who shall I fear? That is why the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, by the way. That when God is the only one that you fear and God is the only one that you seek after, it brings life. It matters not what this world does to you. It matters not what is going on around you, but simply that you fear him. Verse 18, he says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. There's a distinction between those who fear God and those who don't. There's a distinction between the saved and the unsaved. There's a distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Do, do people see the distinction in your life? Do you understand what we're learning here? That our worth is not based on the temporal being and, and happenings of the things around us, the circumstances around us. But our worth, our worth is in him. That's why it is foolishness to say in verse 14, it is vain to serve God. That is foolishness. John Patton said this, those who have tasted this, tasted this highest joy, the joy of the Lord, will never ask, is life worth living? It is never vain to fear the Lord or trust the Lord. Real quick, <clears throat> verse one of chapter four, there's reasons why we, reason why to fear the Lord. Verse one says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither with root or branch. There's reasons to fear the Lord. There's three. One, judgment is coming. Two, judgment will be severe. Three, judgment will be final. First, the judgment is coming. He says it twice there. The day is coming. What are you talking about? The day that Jesus Christ returns and deals with all those who oppose him. It will be a terrifying day, by the way, for those who do not know Christ. It will be a terrifying day. We understand from this text that judgment is coming and all the arrogant and the evildoers will be judged. Judgment is coming and it shall, it shall cause us to be sober-minded. It should cause, to, cause us to be fearful of the Lord, to understand that. By the way, none of us like to talk about judgment, right? I mean, this is not hate speech. This is not a disregard for others. This is a warning because we were all there. If you know Christ today, we were all there. We were in the enslavement to sin without any hope of righteousness, without any hope of life. But because of what Jesus did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, there is now life. There is hope in him. And so we look forward to the day when Jesus would return. But it also means also that judgment is coming and it will be a Difficult day for those who don't know Christ. Jesus came the first time in humility as a humble servant. The second time he will come as a conquering king. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. 
And ver <clears throat> the second thing we learn about judgment is it will be severe. Look what it says there in verse one, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble, and it set them ablaze. Fire in chapter three of Malachi was talking about purifying God's people, but here in chapter four, it's talking about uh, judgment of the wicked. Jesus was grace and truth. We learned that from John chapter one, verse 14. So if we only speak of the grace of God and we only speak of that, which is a wonderful thing, by the way, it, it has totally transformed my life. But the truth of it is there is a consequence for our iniquity. And if we don't turn from them, if we don't turn to Christ, there's a consequence for that. And Jesus spoke truth. God is holy and there is a judgment of sin. And Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in all of scripture. Why? Because Jesus truly loved people. He loved them in grace and truth. And here's the truth. If you don't understand what you were saved from, you won't understand what you were saved to. If you don't understand the reality of the consequences of your iniquity, then how can you understand the realities of what Jesus has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection? Jesus told us a few things in scriptures. He said in Matthew chapter 13, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin, all the lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He also said in Matthew 25, then, will, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In Mark chapter nine, he said, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than it is with two hands to go to hell and the unquenchable fire. Man, those aren't fun verses to read, right? Because what does it do? It forces us immediately to look at our lives and the way that we're living, and it challenges us. Who has our heart? Who has our heart? Does God have our heart? Or are we living our heart as we see fit? The reality of what God has done. Otherwise, it's kind of just live the best life you can, do your best, God will make it all work out in the end. That is not a reality. But the reality is, is that those who oppose Christ, those who reject him, there is a consequence for their iniquity. And they are not the friends of God, and they will stand in judgment when Christ returns, and that will be a terrible day. Why is it so important that we evangelize? Why is it so important that we have that ministry of reconciliation? Because if we really understand the consequence of where people are going who reject Christ, why wouldn't we want to tell them and warn them? Because if we're truly afraid of the Lord, you know what? We're not going to be afraid of their response. If God is moving in our heart, because this judgment, thirdly, is final. Look what it says, set ablaze, ablaze in verse 1, so that it will leave neither root or branch. You know, after you cut a tree or a branch or a bush and you cut it down and there's no more root or no more branches, there is no more hope. If there's no root or no branch, there's no hope of it to return. And the reality is, of those who oppose Jesus Christ, there is a final finality to the judgment. I don't want to end there, but in verse two, he goes on, he says, but for you, 
who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Son of righteousness there. Most scholars believe that that is referring to Jesus. Healing in his wings, that the gospel heals us from sin and death. Leaping like calves from, from the stall. I don't know if you've ever seen where when the calves have been pinned up and they get free and they just start jumping with joy. It's the joy of our salvation, the joy of our, our Lord. In verse three, he goes on, and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There will be complete and total victory to those who fear the Lord, who trust the Lord and give their hearts and wait on him. This is the reality when you look back into Malachi chapter one, we saw it earlier, for he is our great king. My name will be feared among the nations. This is the reality of those who fear the Lord. When we walk into our New Testament, when we realize the reality of fear of the Lord is receiving by faith Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and honoring him as our Lord because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us that we may not perish but have eternal life. That's our hope. That is a fear of the Lord. If you think salvation is simply accepting Christ and continue on and living as you please, you did not hear the same gospel I heard. That gospel will change your life. The grace of God will change your life. Man, Malachi has been a heavy book. It's challenged me in so many ways, put so many mirrors up in front of me. I hope it did you as well. I hope that as we, f as we finish this book, and I, I need to stop, as we finish this book, I hope that in some way, that by the power of God and the work of the Spirit in your life, he put a mirror up in front of you. That you didn't look to somebody else, you didn't, you didn't try to look around, but you just, between you and God, and God was calling you, just as he called the pe his own people, calling your heart to him, to return to him, to clean up those areas that sometimes you become casual about. Maybe you've been allowing callous heart to set in. Maybe God is just reaching out to you, drawing you to himself. Let's pray. Father God, just speak to us, your people, Lord. Let us not shy away, Father, from the truths of your word. There is, a, there is definitely a day coming. To me, it seems like it's closer than it was, but Father, you, it is according to your plans. And there is a day coming, and, and there are so many days every day, I just think, Lord, let it be today, let it be today, that Jesus would return, that he would come. And then, Father, sometimes I run into people who I know don't know Christ, and then I pray, God, give them another day. May your spirit speak to them. May they know Christ. Give me words to speak to them. Lord, till your son comes, let us be faithful. Let our hearts be set aside unto you and not to any other. And let us, Father, be seeking after you in all of our ways. It's in Christ's name, amen.